Hey guys, popping in with a reminder to sign up for the GovHub newsletter. This weekly pop of politics is designed to share action items, resources, and quick links to civic engagement tools and topics directly to your inbox. Save it, share it, and sign up for a pinch of productive politics today by going to girlinthegov.com or visiting this episode's description. Welcome to Girl on the Gov, the podcast where our goal is to make politics more accessible and less intimidating. The show features an interview with an expert in the political field, walking us through the many cues we have about politics, civics, government, and more. By providing civic education in the places we are, on our phones, and in the language we speak. And yes, we know we say like a lot. It's kind of the point, because politics needed a rebrand. Wednesday. Welcome back to Girl on the Gov, the podcast. Happy birthday to President Joe Biden. And I just like have to immediately talk about his hilarious birthday post because iconic. If you didn't see it, oh, good. go look at it. It's just so funny too, because the media all day was like, you know, obviously just tearing him apart for being old, which they always do. But like, his birthday was probably something his comms team was like, all right, how are we going to play this? Like another year older, 81. And the the birthday post was the perfect clap back, honestly. It's like the f- comparison to with like the things Trump is saying all the time. And then they're like, Biden, you're so old. This no, it's actually really insane when you and think this about guy's it. who's only like three years younger is. Not only that, but. Trump, see, this is part of like the the Trump mystique, if you will, is he makes just as many gaffes, errors, et cetera, as Biden does. But I was at the, the market the other day and I never buy them. But obviously, you know, when you're in line and you see all the little tabloid things, especially the really wire, wild ones, like the National Enquirer, like ones that it's like these things could not be more bananas. And their cover was like, Trump has dementia, and I don't even remember what the little thing said. But it was wild to me because usually it's yeah, kind like of playing the other side, yep. and it threw, threw me for a loop. But yeah, the cake was amazing. It was also literally could not have been more on fire. So I just hope that someone was it's nearby so with a fire extinguisher <laughs> because my God. It was so good. The caption was one thing, but then like the fact that the cake was like quite literally just a big flame was it was so good. Also, like I will say if you've ever seen like pictures of Trump without or when his tan has like dissolved a little bit or he Mm. hasn't, you know, got a fresh, fresh bronze on, he looks old as fuck. And as as we know, as girlies who tan, like Mm-hmm. It helps you lose a couple years and a couple pounds, and it does that for Trump. And maybe Biden needs to start snookying his face a little bit, even though I know he does. He does have like a little tan as well. Totally. Oh my gosh, wait, that is so interesting. Maybe that's why we we need to use AI for is giving Biden a tan. I don't know. Like put that stuff or right Trump up in just Photoshop. like getting rid of the tan so people can actually see his elderliness. Yeah. Also too, like when you actually look at videos of Trump walking and ambling, like he's like an old bear. Like mm-hmm. I don't understand how somehow he is the image of like, not vivacious. That's not how you use that word of like. Yeah. Youth well, it's interesting too, because at his like rallies, I don't think he, I think we all know, like he doesn't, he's not on script. Like he's, mm-hmm. 
he kind of like free balls it. And I think in the past, especially maybe like his first campaign cycle that he was in back, you know, before 2016, he had, you know, a little more youthfulness to him that he could just kind of like riff. And now when you see some of these like rallies and speeches that he does when he riffs, like there's not much, there's not much that clicks or makes any type of sense. But look, Argentina just elected a far-right wackadoo that oh. likes to show places with a chainsaw. So, yeah, I mean, look, everyone is not okay. And I would just like to uh, make that official statement on behalf of the entire world for 2023. And that particular person, that particular new elected official in Argentina, we have a story linked in our new Atlas section in the GovHub newsletter, the Monday edition. But anyways, more exciting things. How was TC? She went to D.C. without me. I uh, know. D.C. was good. Friend. It was so autumnal and cute and so many leaves and all of the things that we love. Um, yes. But it was good. I was there for like five days. My first day, I got to kind of explore a little bit and I went to a couple of the free museums, one of them being the Portrait Museum. And I sent Sam some of them. And I just have a couple thoughts I want to share. First is Bill Clinton's portrait. I can't. They did him so dirty. Like, what is this? What is this? You know? It made me literally dizzy when you sent me that picture. I was like, if someone has epilepsy, they should not look at that portrait. Dead serious. Like, if you zoom into like all the little squares, it's just a jumble of weirdness i do feel like there was a phase in which that <laughs> style of painting was really popular like i, I don't feel think like i've ever seen the style like... of painting the obama god this is such such a great portrait and like to see i like obviously i've seen it before i've seen pictures and to see it in real life was cool and it's just stunning and then opal lee was in the museum who is a guest former guest of the show and angel on earth and i loved hers as well i think it's yeah very very beautiful and then Agreed. donald trump came around <laughs> and i was curious because i don't remember having like seen a portrait for him and so i was like what's trump's gonna be and it's literally just a picture of him it's just a picture and like a black background with his red tie and his like classic donald trump smirk but it was his bio that really made me laugh because the museum just absolutely roasted his ass in his bio whereas like every other president they gave like a little like if they were a controversial president then like they had maybe like a little blurb or sentence about like nixon blah blah blah. right trump's is like just a roast i think (laughs) everyone else is like highly regarded i'll just read it Donald J. Trump was elected president of the United States after tapping into populist American sentiment. Having led a career in business and television, he created an identity that was an anti-traditional government and put forth a, quote, America first agenda. During his tenure, Trump appointed a record number of federal judges, including three Supreme Court justices justices. He brokered the Abraham Accords, significantly restricted immigration and reduced government regulations. Throughout his first term, he was impeached two times, the first on charges of abusing power and obstruction of Congress, and the second for incitement of an insurrection. <laughs> he was acquitted by the Senate in both trials. 
On June 18th, 2019, Trump officially announced his decision to seek a second term. The COVID-19 pandemic, which resulted in devastating loss of human lives and an economic crisis, became a key issue. During his re-election campaign, more Americans voted in the 2020 presidential election than ever before, and the majority elected Joseph R. Biden Jr. However, Trump did not concede, and a mob of his supporters who refused to accept the results (laughs) attacked the U.S. Capitol complex on January 6th, 2021, when Congress was working to certify Biden's win. It's just so good. I feel like it's not even a rose. It's just reality. You know what I mean? Totally. But it's like it's interesting because in a portrait museum, you think maybe they just like paint kind of like, yeah, like not polarizing parts of the president. And it just also made me think I'm like, if you are a Trumper who is like coming to D.C. and like doing the museum stuff and you come in and you see your your boy up on the wall and you go and read his little thing, because like a lot of them also like don't even believe January 6th even happened, you know? Mm -hmm. So it's just so... I like loved it. I ate it up. No, it's literally so good. It's just crazy. Also, speaking of crazy, I know I've like texted this about five million times, but I just can't get over it because I have a heart attack every single time. Is literally one of my ex-boyfriends from way back in the day, like forever. We'll not name this person because they can't stand me. So don't need any more of that. But and this might be the one ex-boyfriend that actually has valid reasons to not like me. I claim guilt. However, again, one the only person. Yeah, <laughs> the one mistake I ever made. The one. <laughs> it did haunt me. So anyways, I paid my time. Do do time. He literally looks like Donald Trump Jr. And every time I see a video of Donald Trump Jr., I jump. I'm like, what is blah, blah, blah doing yeah, there? And I then saw I the pictures side by side. I didn't see it, but I also understand that the way people like move and how they look in motion and just like how you experience someone in real life can make you be like, I, they're doppelgangers. And it's just like, totally. I get that. It's the, you're so right. It's like the mannerisms and mm-hmm. like, okay, this ex-boyfriend used to kiss with teeth. Okay. Like, oh yeah. Okay. Like, obviously there's a reason, there's many a reason this, this relationship hit the dumpster fire quite quickly. Mm-hmm. Um, But like literally like teeth. Okay. And does it not look like Donald Trump Jr. kisses with teeth? Because I get that impression. It's kind of like Definitely. a snouty, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm, for sure. So, and with his eyes open. A thousand percent. Wide open. A thousand percent. When I went to D.C., I did a experiment for okay. this podcast. Naturally. Um, right. I did it just for the people. And... I changed my location. I made one of my prompts. <laughs> you should leave a comment if you're Secret Service. <laughs> Just to see. You know, we've talked about this you're a lot. You're going to end up on like a freaking FBI watch list. <laughs> <laughs> we've talked about this. You know, like every time I go to DC, I just fawn over the Secret That's Service true. men. And I always just like wonder, I'm like, where do they go in their free time? Like, who are they? Are they on apps, et cetera? And so I just put a little short experiment feeler out there to just see, to just see. And yeah, there was one guy who said that he was and his, his job was like just federal government. So I was mm-hmm. like, okay, maybe, but I also just felt like he was lying, but I yeah. also like only had it for a couple of days. So I'm like, it would have been interesting to just see over time, like what, what I could get. And then it was funny when I changed my location back to SF, this guy, like this guy matches me. And then he was like, wow, Secret Service, you really tried it for APEC, didn't you? Because APEC was in SF last week and 
Biden was there and, you know, there's tons of security and secret service everywhere. And I was like, Dead. oh my God, that's hilarious because I came back and I forgot to change my prompt. Which... Wait, that's actually iconic. You're yeah. swinging a hat. Subconsciously, you knew what was to two do. birds, one stone, two cities, one stone. Mm-hmm. Well, we do have an episode for everyone today. And we are talking all about how the hell you work on a campaign and how to potentially get some training for it. It's a really good episode and honestly very pertinent as we go into a big election year. If you're curious about dipping your toes in the campaign waters as far as getting a job on a campaign, this is the perfect episode for you. No, totally. Also, if you've worked on campaigns, like you can, this is a great episode because there's always much more to learn. I've worked on campaigns and I've joined Arena and their Arena Academy to like learn more skills and dabble in new fields within the campaign space. So it's for anyone who has or has thought about working in the campaign space. And there's a lot of them that are needed needing help next year. So think about it. Totally. Which speaking of, actually, before I even introduce, if you do work on a campaign and you're looking for a little refresh on social media, we do have social media audits that we offer and bespoke consulting services. Hashtag viral the newsletter goes out on Tuesdays. So keep that in mind as another tool. Regardless, this episode is with Arena's managing partner, Lauren Bears. I did, in her intro, I did say she's managing director. And I think I just have too many friends in finance because I just automatically said managing director, not managing <laughs> partner. So apologies, brain, a brain slip up. But regardless, without further ado, here is Lauren. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. All right, let's get into it. We have so much to talk about and what a long-awaited conversation. So we're very glad to have Lauren on the show. We're talking all about campaign management, training, all the things. And to that point, you are the managing director at Arena. Can you tell us what Arena is, what you guys do? Just give us sort of the lay of the land there. Sure. First of all, thank you, Sammy and Maddie, for having me. I'm psyched to be here. So at Arena, we build the teams that power democratic victories. And when I'm talking to people about our work, I like to say, you know, when people think about politics, they usually think about candidates first, right? They think about the person whose name is on the ballot. And when they think about what it takes to win, they think about finding someone who is charismatic, who has experience, who has a lot of presence. You know, the the archetype in recent years would be Barack Obama, right? You like want to hear him give a speech. He fills you up with hope. But what we recognize at Arena is that good candidates can't win elections on their own. They need teams around them to get them across the finish line. And in order to be successful, those teams really need to reflect the diversity of the communities where people are running in and the country that we live in. And so what we do at Arena is four things. First of all, we recruit 
and train campaign staff and organizers focusing on women, people of color, and members of the LGBTQ community. And we've trained more than 7,000 folks since 2019. Then we have a whole team who helps the folks that we have trained find jobs on campaigns up and down the ballot and all across the country, from school board and city council all the way up to presidential elections. Then we have a suite of free downloadable tools that help candidates and campaign staff alike run really good, strong races. And the final thing we do is we invest in certain uh, campaigns at a state legislative level where we take folks that we have trained and actually put them on specific races. We pay for their salary and benefits when we think that that addition of another campaign staffer on that race could make a difference between whether there's a Democratic majority in a state or not. So that's our work in a nutshell. It is all about bringing people into the political process. Love that. I, that's really cool. I didn't know the part about like kind of helping once people get into campaigns, if there's not enough budget or whatever. I actually was in the spring arena training program, awesome. um, which was very cool. So I got to really like see it and experience it. And it's so important because I've worked on campaigns and I think you're really just thrown into the fire. Like you just, mm-hmm. you don't know really what's going on. And it's so fast paced. It's not like a normal job where you have like kind of a long, slow onboarding process that you can like take your time and learn. You don't have that on a campaign. And especially even if you have like campaign experience, but you maybe want to like be a campaign manager or like do something different, you still need that learning time, no matter how kind of like experienced you are in the campaign world. So I guess I'm just curious, like how, when did this kind of come about? Like, was there a certain like inspiration point of being like, okay, how do we build the team around them? Like, why is that so important? Was there something that specifically like, sparked that? I'm just kind of curious the the real yeah, origin so there, story. There is, there is actually an origin story around this. So in its early years, Arena was known for what were called Arena Summits. Arena was founded in uh, late 2016 after Donald Trump was elected. And it started as an organization that really brought people together who were feeling anger or motivation or just energy and wanted to get involved, wanted to get in the arena in some way. And we had these massive convenings and helped figure out people, help people figure out what they could do to make a difference at that time. One of the things that a number of early attendees do, did, myself included, uh, was put their own name on the ballot and ran for office. I ran for Congress in 2018 in part because I attended an ARENA summit. But after that first election cycle that ARENA was in existence, so after those 2018 elections, we took a step back and we asked our candidates, what's the thing, the kind of support that you most need? And almost universally, the response was, we're having difficulty finding qualified, well-trained staff that really represent the diversity of our communities. And we also pulled people who went to those early arena summits who wanna came out wanting to work on campaigns and said, what are you finding challenging right now? And a lot of them said, you know, we came out so motivated and so energized, but politics is still such an old boys network where you need to know someone to know someone. I'm finding it hard to break into the work. And so mm-hmm. that was really the origin of this shift from just doing these big summits to focusing in on training and and placing campaign staff because we realized there was a real need on both sides. Candidates really needed good staff and people who wanted to do the work really needed help breaking Mm -hmm. it to the system. 
Yeah. I'm so curious too, like before you guys, like how did campaigns find staff? Like what was the classic process for, you know, find campaign manager, finance director, all that? It, It really was so much network driven, which meant that it was very much driven by a network of people who looked like folks who had always been involved in politics. And, you know, if you look over sort of the history of our country, most people who have run for and won elected office have been straight cisgendered white men. So those were most of the individuals who held leadership positions in politics. And they were mostly recruiting in people who looked like them or thought like them in a certain way. And of course, there were other organizations that, you know, Emily's List being one of them, that tried to bring some some more diverse folks into the process. But there was no one really looking at scale, at how do we ensure that we're staffing up these campaigns in a way that is representative of our country. And we thought that campaigns should be employing like best practices in hiring that the corporate and for-profit world had already started adopting long ago. So really simple things like you don't run an interview process just with uh, five folks your buddies can refer you to. You make sure that you're recruiting uh, a diverse range of candidates. And you make sure that when you hire people, you're treating them well, which means paying them decent wages, providing them with health care, because there were all sorts of barriers to entry that kept folks who weren't already privileged and well off from being involved in politics. So, you know, we're not all the way to where we need to be right now, but we've made a lot of progress in a very short amount of time. Totally, because that's one of the things I was going to say, like, We've had campaign managers on the show and talked to them about their experience. And like one of the elements of the job is it's so transient, like you're on a campaign for a handful of months and then you're sort of out of work. It's kind of honestly like working in Hollywood in a w- weird way and being between movies and TV shows. Mm-hmm. And I always else. compare politics with Hollywood. There you go. We, we get a lot so of folks true. on the, the theater to politics pipeline. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Totally. I think there's that one. And then the other one I've noticed is also the pageant pipeline where a lot of people that have done like Miss America or any of like sort of the smaller Uh pageants. I'm not a pageant person, so I don't know the ins and outs, but I swear to God, they're like all over the place. And I'm like, wow, this is so cool. But interesting how, you know, sort of the recruiting ends up happening. Right. Yeah. Right. But I, you know, that element of not having the stability and being Mm -hmm. able to move and also have health insurance and all these different things. Like I you know, perhaps it's a leading question, but how does that impact or have you seen that impact, you know, the recruitment? You know, how does that, you know, of course, sort of keep down the diversity? Yeah. So, I mean, it hugely impacts who can see themselves in the work and then who is able to stay in the work cycle over cycle. So we address it at at both points. You know, the first thing that we do is when we are recruiting, we're intentionally recruiting a very, very diverse audience for our trainings and making clear that there are ways, even if you look different than most people who've worked in politics before, have a slightly different background, aren't independently wealthy, that there are ways now for you to find job and work that will be more more sustaining. But also what we do is we really support people during those, you know, in-between cycles when they're rolling off one campaign and looking for their next job. So some of what we do is we provide higher level trainings during that that period of time so individuals can level up their skills, uh, you know, get that next uh, highest 
a higher level role that they might be looking for. We help them refine their resumes and do interview prep. We connect them to employers who are hiring early on so they don't have to have these these long breaks in unemployment. And at the same time, we're really working on making system-wide changes that are going to make it a better field to work in overall. And these can be things like encouraging campaigns to pay their employees through the end of November or the end of December instead of stopping pay on election day. So people have a little bit of an economic cushion to find their gig, their next gig, making sure that people have health insurance. These are, again, like baseline things in other sectors. But in politics for so long, people have just taken for granted that people are willing to do the work under really hard conditions for very little. Totally. I'm also super curious, like if you can paint the picture of why diversity is so important within a campaign and just like how it can like move a candidate to, you know, push certain things or how it can reach new audiences or voting blocks. I'm just like curious if you can paint that picture of of why that diversity is so crucial. And yes, we'll do it. I'll do it from a couple of different perspectives. And the first reason I'll the first perspective I'll do it from is is the perspective of a candidate. And I know this intimately because I was a candidate myself. When you're a candidate, you can't be everywhere all of the time. You have to have a staff out there for you, and they are your emissaries in the community. They are representing your voice, your values. And that means you need to be able to find folks that you trust to really represent you out in the community to voters. So as we are recruiting more and more diverse candidates, more women, more people of color, more queer people, it's important that we're also providing them with staff who similarly reflect that diversity. So there are folks there that they trust can speak authentically in the same voice that they would as a candidate if they were there themselves. I think the second reason, you know, why diversity is is so important is because our voters are incredibly diverse. Our community is incredibly diverse. We're, we're a democratic political organization. And if you look at the core base of folks who elect Democrats, they are not monolithic. You know, they are people of color. They are women. They are queer people. And so if we want our voters to be persuaded and to turn out, We need to be sending out people whose voices are going to resonate in the communities of voters that we're we're trying to get to the polls. So, you know, it just makes good sense from an electoral perspective, but it also makes sense from a a governing and, and a policy perspective in the sense that campaign staff do have a huge role to play in driving the policy and platform of a candidate. And the issues that you bring to the forefront Um, that you think are going to be important and are going to be resonant with voters is is very much driven by your lived experience. So, for example, if you have a bunch of folks on your campaign team who've never experienced taking out a student loan or understand the crushing debt that can come from that, they might not recognize the way that that issue could really resonate with a voting population or be a really important part of someone's platform. And so the whole idea here is, is that when your campaign team looks a lot more like the community that you're trying to represent, you're going to be more likely to win. And also you're ultimately going to be better at governing when you get into office. Like, and I'm curious, since like you've run for office as well, like, 
being, you know, on the campaign trail, like, is there a moment in which, you know, you saw sort of holes in, you know, the campaign staff in the essence of, you know, training and like things are like, shoot, like if we had had training for X, Y, Z thing, like this would have gone smoother. Like, what are those types of things? Sure. I mean, I can give you one very clear example of of holes in the system. It came up very early in my campaign. I my first hire was a was a finance director because in most campaigns, the first person you hire is someone who's going to help you raise money so you can do all of the things. And then my second hire was a campaign manager. And so there were folks in the orbit that I was working with, big democratic organizations, and they they passed me a stack of resumes of folks to consider for the campaign manager role. This was a very high profile swing district race. We were trying to to flip a congressional district from red to blue. And I, I looked at the resumes and I think there were four or five of them and they were all straight white men. And mm-hmm. I said, you know, is this the the most diverse group of candidates that you can offer me? Is this the full group of, of folks that I have to consider? And, and they said, well, this is the best that we have. And I said, well, the, you know, the best then isn't good enough for the process that I want to run. And the response was, are you saying you only want to hire a woman? And I said, no, I'm not saying I only want to hire a woman. I haven't predetermined that. But what I am saying is in the year 2018, I don't think you can colorably run an interview process in the Democratic Party and in a state and in a district as diverse as ours without having a diverse candidate pool. And so I had to ultimately go out on my own through the help of connections that I had to to source different applicants. Ended up finding and hiring, you know, a fabulous female campaign manager who's gone on to do, you know, great things in her own career. But to me, that was a way in which I recognize very early on the way that candidates, even those with the best intentions, are really hamstrung in terms of what their options are. And the easiest thing to do would have been the path of least resistance, right? It would have been to say, okay, this is the best you have. I'm going to hire one of these folks. It took a lot of effort to try to find someone else. And so Arena's solving for that now. Now, if you are um, you know, running for office, you don't have to rely on some consultants or, you know, individuals in established political organizations to pass you resumes. You can go to Arena and download our talent bank of active job seekers, and it will give you hundreds of people, diverse folks, tell you what they're trained in, where they're from, where they're willing to work, and you can build the talent pool that you want to hire from. And that's pretty cool. So cool. Yeah. And so necessary. And as, you know, we enter a very large campaign season. It is upon us. And, you know, a lot of campaigns are up and running. Some are starting to get going. I'm curious, you know, kind of what, what the real like staff load looks like. It's, I know a spectrum because there's really large campaigns, there's smaller local campaigns up and down the ballot. I'm especially honestly curious about smaller campaigns. And like you said, like kind of the first thing is that finance director to try and like continue to build out raise money, et cetera. But I'm curious, kind of like, what are the like really essential roles that campaigns look to fill first? And especially kind of if there is a low budget and a smaller campaign, what does that small staff look like? 
Yeah. So I think what I'll do in answering this question is first give you a kind of look at what staff might look like on a congressional campaign, which is sort of a maybe a medium to large size race and the, the kind of race where you might see a bunch of different roles. And then we can look at what it would look like in a smaller campaign, which is is very different. So let's say you're running for Congress in a pretty competitive race and you have a budget of of several million dollars. So the first thing you're going to do is probably hire a a finance director. You're going to hire someone to help you raise money. Now, we all hate the role of money in politics, but also It's a fact that you need money to do absolutely everything on a campaign. I like to say running for office is like running a small but rapidly growing startup. And, you know, everything from renting an office space to getting contracts for all of the software you need to do to do your fundraising and your compliance to eventually hiring the people who are going to do voter contact, like the money needs to be there unless you're wealthy enough to provide all the money on your own. First person you might hire is a finance director to help you start raising money, get you off the ground. After that, your next hire is usually going to be your campaign manager. Um, Your campaign manager is the individual who is responsible for the overall strategy uh, and direction of the race. Um, They're responsible for figuring out um, what your path to victory is, how you're going to get to 50% plus one um, on election day. Then um, as you get closer to election, you're going to grow out your team in terms of your field presence. Um, You might hire uh, a field director, um, maybe a handful of organizers under them. Um, And their responsibility is largely going to be um, recruiting and managing um, all of the volunteers and organizers who are going to be the the voice um, of the campaign throughout whatever district you are running in. Those are sort of the key roles on a congressional campaign. Maybe if it's a really big race, you'll see individuals in roles like uh, a communications director or a digital director or a data director. But for the most part, there's always an impetus to keep your core paid staff pretty tight and rely as much as you can on those in the community who can help you on a volunteer basis in order to most effectively use your resources. But when you talk about smaller races, Maddie, you know, state legislative races, city council races, county commissioner races, for the most part here, you're talking about budgets not in the millions of dollars and sometimes not even in the hundreds of thousands of dollars, but in the thousands of dollars. Mm -hmm. And so there, maybe on most of these races, you'll have one paid staffer who is kind of a jack of all straight all trades. You know, that person has to be the campaign manager and the finance director and the field director all wrapped up in one. And if the race is small enough, the candidate is taking on a lot of these responsibilities, him or herself. And so, you know, I think we we all sort of, to the extent we thought of campaigns, a lot of people I think think of a presidential campaign with with hundreds of staffers and people on payroll. But for the most part, these are Pretty, pretty scrappy operations, which are stood up very quickly and then last for the most part, you know, no more than two years because then election day comes. Yeah, totally. That is 
So interesting to sort of, you know, see the lay of the land, you know, who can, you know, sort of have these bigger staff. But I think especially at the smaller local level, it's so interesting to sort of see, you know, who's behind the campaign, how it's all operating, how many hats are these people, you know, wearing? And it makes me think like, okay, how do you train someone to be, you know, the jack of all trades, right? Like how, like sometimes it's learning by experience and other times, you know, you're lucky to get training. And so I'm curious about Arena Academy and the training that you guys provide and how that sort of works, you know, are there different tracks? Are there, is there a, a jack of all trades track? You know, like what does that look like? So thanks for asking. At our Arena Academy, we had seven different tracks. So campaign management, finance, data, digital, communications, organizing, and organizing director. And these are, we think, the core roles and functions on a campaign. People come to us at very different points in their career. Some people come already having worked a few cycles in the field, but they've never had any formal training and they really want to like level up their skills. Some people come to us totally new to the work and they're being introduced to what electoral politics is for the first time. Some people come to us having had full careers in a completely different field, but wanting to figure out how to apply those skills to the campaign context. So maybe they've worked in the tech space and they want to become a data director on a bigger campaign. And what we see our job is doing is really providing people, you know, with the fundamental skills, both hard skills and softer skills like management and how to think about DEI on a campaign. Uh, but those skills that people are going to need to be successful. But we know that it's it's not like a one and done situation. Learning is a much longer process than that. And so we also offer a number of higher level training courses for individuals who want to level up their skills even more. So, for example, next month we're training just shy of 200 folks who work in the digital space and want to employ deploy advanced digital tactics in 2024. So there's a there's a whole slate of offerings. But we also recognize that like so much of what you're going to learn in this world is being in the work, doing the work. And so that's why it's really important to us that we don't just train people. We then help them find the jobs where they're going to get that practical experience to complement what they've learned in the classroom with us. Yeah, it's awesome. Well, can you also break down what Arena Academy is like? Like you, you sign up, you're in it. I was in the comms track, shout out to the comms track. What does it, what does it entail? How does it work? Can you kind of explain the process of once you're in there? Yeah. So it's it's a super fun experience and I'm actually going to start even before you're in it. I'm going to talk about applying to Arena Academy first. So like you think you might want to, you might want to break into politics. We're going to ask you to to tell us a little bit about yourself and explain why you want to do this work and tell us which track you want to be on. Then once we accept you, we accept you into a track. We'll ask you to list two and and most people get their first choice, but some people don't. And then we bring you in to the training and your first couple of days are going to be a mix of what we call plenary sessions and track sessions. Plenary sessions are big groups um, with everyone in the cohort. So it's usually about 200 to 250 people we're training at a time. And that's where you might be learning um, about things like how to create equitable and inclusive uh, campaigns, um, how to effectively manage up and down 
And then a lot of your time is going to be spent in smaller track sessions. So that's just with your cohort of people studying the same track as you, organizing data, digital, et cetera. It's a group of about 30 folks. And there you're really going to dig into the nitty gritty of that specific um, area of work. And all of our training is really hands-on and interactive. We do training both online and in person, but even in the online space, you can expect to be talking to your with your fellow participants, working collaboratively on problems and issues in the context of the training, doing a lot of breakout session work. And then what I think is the most fun part of Arena Academy is the last day and a half, which is called the Arena Cup simulation. And that's where we do um, a model campaign simulation. We break folks up into teams where there's one person from every track. Uh, you get um, a profile of a fake candidate running in a real district, and you have roughly 24 hours to come up with a path to victory, basically uh, explaining to us how your candidate is going to win this election. It's a big competition. And at the end of the day, one team wins. And this is where people get super excited and into the work. They get to test out their new skills. They get to work collaboratively and have a lot of fun. And I am always just massively, massively impressed about how people who came in five days before, sometimes knowing nothing about the world of politics, can come up with really advanced and sophisticated and creative ideas for how candidates should win. And I think, you know, at the in, in our ideal world, you come out of an arena academy, not just with a bunch of skills, but with a real community of people who are doing similar work and can support you on your own career journey. Yeah, because that was one of the things I was going to ask, like, do does this sort of lead to also having a network of people to lean on? Because Obviously, if you're coming in, having no experience politics, wanting to jump into everything, you know, it's sort of the question, like, why would you have had a network in Is the there? political sphere? You know, how would that have like, I mean, you know, it's always nice to have friends in every sort of industry if possible, but like life doesn't always make that the simplest. So I'm curious, like what that post-academy, post-graduate moment, you know, looks like for networking? Like, how do you guys facilitate that or, you know, make sure people sort of keep in touch? Are there yearbooks? All the things. Yeah, no, it, it's a huge, huge goal of our work. We want people to have a community that's going to support them throughout their careers. So everyone uh, on a most basic level who attends an academy is then part of the arena community. Slack, they can stay in contact with each other that way. They gain access to special arena newsletters and events that are available to our alumni and the services offered by our careers team. And honestly, one of the coolest things that's come out of having done this work for several years is that folks who we trained in the early year years are now increasingly in very important positions of leadership in the, the political space. You know, to give one example, an incredible woman that we trained back in 2019 who was a career changer. We trained her on the digital track. She went on to be uh, a digital staffer on Reverend Warnock's campaign, a digital director for Val Demings in her Senate run. And now she's the vice president of digital at Emily's List, a huge and important political organization. She's not unique in the sort of trajectory that our academy grads have taken. And I mentioned that 
because the community is not just the cohort of people you trained with, but also the broader cohort of people who've gone in, who've gone through that training before, who you might find being your boss or your colleague in whatever role it is that that you step into. So, you know, we are more than 7,000 folks who come out of our training now and still growing every day. So cool. And the arena careers part is kind of like, mm-hmm. you know, a huge part of this as well. Right. And I, we always get asked to, it's like, okay, how do you even find a political job? Is it there like a LinkedIn? Is there an, mm-hmm. like, you go on Indeed and you're like, can I, what type of role do I type in? It's very hard to get your foot in the door in the political space to work in it, whether you're post-grad or if you want to hop into it from a different career, like you've talked about. So can you kind of explain arena careers and how that all works and how yeah. people can get on there. Happy to. And you know what you're explaining there, Maddie, is like a huge motivation for us doing arena careers. We wanted to democratize the space. We wanted to enable folks to, if they wanted to work in politics, to actually be able to find out what jobs were out there being advertised. And so, you know, there are two two things that the Arena Careers team does that are available to everyone, even folks who haven't trained with Arena. The first is we have a jobs board where organizations and campaigns can post jobs when they are hiring. And so if you were looking for work, you can go to that Arena Careers jobs board and you can see who is looking to hire. You can reach out directly to them. And it just makes accessible a whole range of jobs that previously you would have had to directly know the hiring manager in order to even know that there was a process going on. The second thing that we have that's open to everyone, whether or not you've trained with us, is our our talent bank, our active job seeker talent bank. So if you were looking for a job in politics, you can go upload your resume to that talent bank. Fill out a simple form about your background, experience, and skills, where you're willing to work. And that puts you in a database of folks that when employers come to us saying, who's out there to hire, they've got your information on hand. Those employers can reach out to you directly. And then there are also the career services that we offer that are just for folks that have trained with us. And this is more bespoke offerings, like we do resume reviews, we do interview prep, we do coaching and mentoring to really make sure that people landed in the right jobs for them. Love it. Totally. I especially love the resumes element. I was talking to Deborah about that, mm-hmm. like being able to transition people's resumes from another career path to like what it would actually look like in yeah. a you know, political sense. And there's so many transferable skills. And I think people get lost in the sauce mm-hmm. of being so much yep. of one career path for so long and don't know how to sort of change, you know, put the little spin factor on the same skill and give it the political, you know, sort of makeover and whatnot. So love that you guys do that. I do have one question before we ask like where yeah. everyone can access all these things because we've gotten it from our Gov Clubbers and it's about the job bank. Are there also jobs on there from organizations that are within the political space that might not be campaign focused, but like, for example, like an Emily's List or a States Project, things of that nature? Yes, Sammy, thank you for asking that question. There are jobs from tons of what we call movement organizations, and those might be orgs who are working at a national level or a state level. 
Maybe they're working on specific issues like reproductive rights or gun violence prevention. Maybe they're working on specific ballot initiatives like the the constitutional amendment that passed in Ohio just a few days ago. So there are a ton of different opportunities there. And a lot of these movement organization jobs, unlike jobs on campaigns, aren't quite as cyclical. You wouldn't expect to necessarily lose your job after Election Day. And so a lot of folks who are looking for you know, more stability in the work than going from campaign to campaign really find an appeal in, in working for organizations like that. And, and, and there are just you know, dozens of jobs on the jobs board at any given time from those orgs. Yeah, that is well, awesome. Yeah. Thank you so much for running us through all of this. I mean, we always say like, if you don't know where to like learn about politics, you don't know where to start, you can come to Girl on the Gov. But if you don't know how to work in politics, you don't know where to start, I feel like you can go to Arena. And I think that's very in line with what we push out here at Girl on the Gov. So thank you for coming on. Hopefully people who are a little bit interested, but again, like with maybe too intimidated to even think about working in politics, we'll hear this and like feel inspired and, you know, informed to go do so. So thank you for running us through everything. Can you also give kind of all of the the things of websites, socials, whatever can help people kind of get in touch with you guys? Yes, of course. So you can follow us on social at Arena Summit is our handle everywhere. Uh, Online, you can find us at arena.run. That's where you're going to find information about all of our upcoming trainings and programs. You can sign up to get notified when our next application is open. And what I would really encourage everyone is that you have a place in politics. It, it isn't just that old boys club um, anymore. It, it's really a, a space where all of us have a role to play, to play and can make um, incredible change. And we would love to invite you into the arena community. So please check us out. Amazing. Well, thank you so much for joining us. And we can't wait to hear like who comes from Girl in the Gov and pops on over to you guys. So of course, keep us updated. But thanks again. Definitely, definitely. Thanks so much for having me. Hey guys, popping in with a reminder to sign up for the GovHub newsletter. This weekly pop of politics is designed to share action items, resources, and quick links to civic engagement tools and topics directly to your inbox. Save it, share it, and sign up for a pinch of productive politics today by going to girlinthegov.com or visiting this episode's description. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.